Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor, Adonai. We give you honor, ancients of days. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be adored. Lord, as we come before you this evening, we pray that you have your way. Teach us your will. Let our hearts be open to learn. Give us understanding. Holy Spirit, interpret your word in every heart as it is needed. Take all the glory. Take all the honor. In the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Good evening, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Fresh Manor Bible Study. It's a pleasure to have all of you again connect this evening to study the Word of the Lord. Last week, we were talking about, is there a dress code for Christians? Is there a dress code for Christians? And I believe that by God's grace, we did answer that question. And today, we are going to move on. Excuse me. We are going to move on into a new topic. And the goal of this topic for some people may be to learn so they can teach others. And for some people, it may be that they are about to make that decision and it will help them in making a better decision. The overall purpose of this teaching is to help us live the life of Christ. You know, no brief is a church that is called to be prayerful not to compromise, and to show the light of Christ to a world in darkness. And so we are called, for, as, our name, as our name indicates, we are no breed. We are different. We are all together a different kind of species, meaning that if Christians are doing certain things, we are called out to be different, to be distinct in our existence. And so I believe that as you, as you listen to these teachings, not only does it equip you to live, but it gives you the knowledge that you can pass down to others. And for parents who have children, this information is relevant because as you take care of your children and bring them up in the law, you want to give them the right information that they need in order to make good choices in life. So today, the topic of our, top of our, of our Bible study today is should a Christian marry a non-Christian? Should a Christian marry a non-Christian? And we're going to look into the Bible to answer this question. But first and foremost, when we talk about a Christian, who is a Christian? Because today, everyone who goes to church professes to be Christian. In fact, the reason why the Muslim world or the, uh, the Islamic extremists like Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, and all these terrorist groups, the reason why they focus so much on the United States is because they believe that America is the headquarters of Christianity just like uh, they will consider Saudi Arabia to be the headquarters of Islam. They consider that America is the headquarters of Christianity. They believe that most of the principles or the great, the great amount of preachers in the world come from America. So this is how many people consider, if I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian. But who then is a Christian? A Christian is anyone who professes and practices the teachings of Jesus Christ. A Christian is anyone who professes and practices the teachings of Jesus Christ. While a non-Christian is anyone who does not. Now notice the word professes and practice. 
and practices. Professes and practices. So to profess means you're saying it out loud. You're confessing it. You're saying it. I'm a Christian. I belong to this church. I belong to this denomination. You know, you profess it. You say what you believe. But it doesn't end there. If you don't practice what you believe, then you are not a Christian. So it doesn't end by just professing. Going to church doesn't make someone a Christian. Just like spending a lot of time in a courthouse doesn't make you a lawyer or a judge. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Saying you believe in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. You just say, I believe. The Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. Even demons believe that Jesus is Lord, but they don't submit to him. So saying that you, are, you believe in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian either. Being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. The word Christian actually comes from the Greek word. It actually comes from a Greek word which indicates like Christ, like little Christ. Literally, that's what it means, little Christ. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when they saw the disciples, the people said, these people are like Christ. That is when the word Christian was derived from, like Christ. So a Christian, in practical terms, is anyone who is striving to be like Christ. Anyone who has taken upon his or herself or him or herself to practice the teachings and the precepts of Christ. So if you are unmarried and trying to marry a Christian, look for practice, not, prof- not confession. Look for someone who practices what they believe, not someone who professes what they believe. For example, somebody may tell you, I believe in Jesus. But that person wants to sleep with you before marriage or believes in sex before marriage. That tells you clearly that this person does not practice what they believe. So just because somebody goes to church, some, just because somebody says, I believe in Jesus, doesn't make them a Christian. I say this because it's important for, for us to know because someone, somebody may show up to you, especially if you're single or somebody comes to your daughter or your son and you want to find out if they are Christian, they can talk the talk. They can say good things about Jesus, quote scriptures in the Bible. That doesn't make them a Christian. We have to look out for the manifestations, the fruits. The Bible says, by their fruits, we shall know them. By their fruits, we shall know them. And going back into a subject, there are some logical reasons why some people think it is acceptable for Christians to marry non-Christians. Some people think that there are reasons that make sense why a Christian should marry a non-Christian. Number one, they say there are more women in the world than men. So if everybody had to stick to marrying just Christians, and if there are more women in the world than men, it also, ex- it also explains why there are more women in the church than men. If you go to every church that I've been to, it's always like 60-70% women and 30% men. So their argument is that if every man in that church has to marry just a Christian, then many of our sisters will not have husbands because their husbands will be in the world. That is their argument. So they believe that some Christian or some sisters should go out there 
and marry non-Christian men and bring them to the law. Because if every woman has to choose a husband in the church, then husbands will not be enough for all the single or the unmarried women. The second reason is that I can marry them and change them. People believe that I can marry somebody, I'll preach to them, and I'll change them. The third reason is some people say I'm getting old and the only option I have are non-Christians. The only people that are coming to me for marriage are not Christians. And I'm not going to die as a single woman. I'm not going to die as a single man when I have the opportunity to be with somebody I love, even though they are not Christians. Number four, they say God has given me the power of choice so I can decide whoever I want to marry because it is my choice. God has given me the power to choose. Number five, they say I know a lot of people who got married to non-Christians and they are doing well. I know a lot of people. They only quote you example how there was a pastor who got married to the wife and the wife was a non-Christian. Then later, the wife got saved and then God called them to ministry and they are doing well. They are doing a lot of good things for the Lord. And then some people say, some of the very best people that I know or the very best men or women I've met in my life are not Christian. The people with the best character, the nicest people that I've met in my life are not Christians. So that becomes a foundation for them to marry uh, non-Christian. Number six, they say God will understand. God knows it is difficult. God knows this is my only option. God knows I'm in a tight situation and God will understand. He's a loving father and he understands. But let's look at reasons why a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. Reasons. As I was studying on this subject, there was a lot of interesting things that I found out based on research, based on uh, teachings from other ministries. And you, it, it is shocking that when you read the teachings that are posted on the internet from some churches, you wonder where these notions are taken from. But everything that we say or everything we believe in must be founded in the scripture. So we are not teaching philosophies. We are not teaching logic. We are not teaching common sense. We are not teaching what makes sense. We are teaching what the scriptures say. But then some experts have said that when a Christian gets married to a non-Christian, there is easy divorce. There is easy divorce. For example, like we said before, when a Christian who is professing to be Christian, who doesn't believe and practices the, in the, in belief and practices what Jesus Christ says, the moment things start to get difficult in a marriage or in a relationship, they don't know what is patience, they don't know what is forgiveness, they are out. Because they are not there to please the Lord, they are there for themselves. If they, if they cannot find happiness, they are out. So most experts say that is a reason why you can even find divorce in the church because you have people who believe in Jesus. They don't practice what Jesus says, whether it's for the man or for the woman. So it leads to divorce. And then you have spiritual confusion among children. When you get married to a non-Christian, do you raise your, your children as non-Christians or do you raise your children as Christians? What if your husband decides that your children are not, his children are not going to that church where you go? That, like you hear some people have an argument like, I will let my children grow up 
And when they are old, they will decide what they want to do. But I don't want to subjugate them to a particular faith or religion that hinders their, their mind from being open to make a decision. So there is sometimes spiritual confusion in family when two people are together and they cannot agree on their, spiritual, on their spirituality. Number three, you have compromising beliefs to save marriage. Compromising beliefs to save marriage. There are people who cannot do what God has asked them to do because if they do what they are supposed to do, it will affect their marriage. Take, for example, if, if, I'm, if I was not married to a Christian and I tell my wife I'm going to be spending the night in church praying, it takes a woman who understands what it means to spend in the night church, in the church praying to understand my husband is praying. If you are not a Christian and you're married to, um, if you're married to somebody who's not a Christian, and you're going for all night in church, you are going for all these activities, it may become the reason why your marriage breaks because the man doesn't understand or the woman doesn't understand why you are doing all what you're doing. We can see this in the life of Solomon. What led Solomon astray from the Lord was his marriage to strange women. When he got married to women out of the Jewish culture, he started building temples for all the women to please them. And then that is how he brought idol worship into the land because he was trying to please the women he got married to. So people who are married to non-Christians, sometimes in the course of trying to save their marriage, would have to compromise in order to keep their relationship. There is no guarantee that a non-believer will become a believer. There is no guarantee. There is no, you can't change somebody. You cannot bring somebody to the Lord. It is only Jesus who can bring somebody to the Lord. So there is no guarantee that if you get married to a non-Christian, they will become Christians. There are three ways in which a marriage to a non-Christian can turn out. Number one, in order to be more synced with your spouse, the Christian will have to push Christ to the margin of his life or her life. So in order to stay in unity and be on the same page, with your wife or your husband, you have to keep some of your Christian values away. Take, for example, you're married to a non-Christian. And instead of you going to the Bible studies on Friday, he says, let's go to the nightclub and have fun. You either choose to be rigid about your belief and displace your wife or your husband, or you put your values as a Christian away and go to the nightclub to please your wife or to please your husband. Alternatively, if the believer in the marriage holds to, the, to a robust position as a Christian and say, I'm going to practice what I believe, then the non-believing partner will be feeling marginalized, be feeling, as, feeling as if my wife or my husband doesn't love me. Everything I want to do with her or him, he or she always refuses. He doesn't place me, she doesn't place me, and then they start feeling uh, distance from you because they feel you are more connected to your church and your, and your religion than to them. Or the third position is that they will either coexist together in that marriage and then either stress will break it up, either the stress of the marriage or the dissatisfaction will break the marriage or the relationship up, or they live together in some form of dissatisfaction and confusion and just say, well, it is what it is. So, if you get married to a non-Christian, 
that marriage cannot be Christ-centered because you either be seeking to please your spouse or seeking to please Jesus. And if your spouse is not submitted to Jesus, there is no way you can please Jesus because anything you try to do for Jesus will be a contradiction to their belief which will create tension and conflicts in a marriage. And the last is that your faith will be weakened. Your faith will be weakened. There are people who cannot pray, who cannot do the things that God has called them to do, who cannot practice all what they believe because if they practice it, it's going to be an inconvenience for their spouse. I have seen women who, or men as a pastor who have experienced persecution from their wives or their husbands because they get up in the night to pray and the man doesn't want it. Night was made to sleep and not to pray. And they say things like, you can go to church on Sunday. You can do whatever you want to do in church, but in this house, all that prayer, 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 this is not a church. And then you find that the woman or the man who is called to be in deep intimacy with God has to compromise their standards because they are trying to please their spouse. There are many more. Let's move to the next reasons why, reasons why you should marry Christians. Reasons why Christians should marry Christians. Number one, marriage is to display God's image by obeying God's command for fruitfulness and dominion. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Verse 26 to 28. Marriage is to display God's image by obeying God's command for fruitfulness and dominion. So if you get married to somebody who does not acknowledge God and doesn't obey God, then that defeats the purpose of marriage. So in the marriage, you will either be pleasing yourself or trying to please your husband or your wife or, or you try to please God. And if, they are not, if your spouse is not submitted to God and not given to obey God, you will find yourself defeating the very purpose why God created marriage. Number two, marriage is partnership in doing God's work. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, when God created Adam, he gave Adam charge over the garden to take care of the garden. When God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone, God decided to create Adam a helper. That is when the woman came into the scene. So the whole goal of bringing Eve to Adam was for Eve to help Adam do what God instructed Adam to do. And so if you have a marriage, you have a relationship where one person is trying to do God's will and the other person is not, then it defeats the purpose of marriage because we are supposed to come together as a husband and wife in order to do the will of the Lord. God gave you as a woman to your husband to help that man accomplish what God has instructed, what God has assigned. So if you are not submitted to God to do what God says, then it defeats the purpose of being together with a man or a woman. Number three, the Old Testament warns against marrying unbelievers. The Old Testament. In Genesis, we see a huge effort made to ensure that the people of God will marry only those who trust in the Lord. In Genesis 24, Abraham goes at great length to pray and ask God that God will help Rebekah 
God will help his son to marry a believing woman. And he eventually got married to, to Rebecca. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 2 to 3, the Bible says, One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, Take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Swear to the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Swear, Abraham made his servant swear to him that in case he dies, he will not allow Isaac to marry a woman that was not Jewish. Again, in Genesis chapter 27, you read from verse 46 all the way to 28 verse 9. We see Rebekah and Isaac disgusted at the marriage of their son Esau to came to the Hittite and Canaanite women. This is not racism, it is religious. Esau got married to Canaanite and Hittite women and because of their beliefs, they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 1, the Bible says, So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. You must not marry them. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 46, the Bible said, Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. So it was important for the patrons, the Jewish people, to keep marriage to themselves, between themselves, because God, they were God's chosen ambassadors. God had chosen them, that through them, they were supposed to spread the word of the Lord throughout the earth. So getting married to women from other places who did not believe in the Lord would have defeated the purpose that God gave to them, the assignment that God gave to them. So it wasn't about racism, it was about God's mandate from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That is why they had to stay within the confines of people who believe in what God has instructed them to do. And so if you don't care about what God says, you don't care about your, the God's purpose for your life, you don't care about God's mission for your life, you can go ahead and do anything because after all, you are not living for God. But if you care about what God has called you to do and what God has called you to accomplish, then you know that marriage to a Christian, as a Christian, is the only alternative. The New Testament also prohibits marriage to unbelievers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, it says, A man is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if he dies, she, must, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Listen, a man is bound to a woman. A woman is bound to a man as long as they both live. But if one of them dies, then they are free. The one who is alive is free to marry, but must marry only the one who belongs to the Lord. In other words, the one who believes in, in Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. In, first, in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have in darkness? 
do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is very clear. If you go to get married to a man who is not a Christian, you are yoking yourself up with that person. And the Bible clearly says that we should not yoke ourselves with unbelievers. And number four, marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. It's a partnership that pictures the redeeming love of Christ for his church. The whole point of marriage is to picture the gospel. The whole point of marriage is to picture the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 27, it says, And further, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives must submit to your own husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot and wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Now, if you listen to this instruction, everything that God is instructing the man to do or the woman to do is in reference to Christ. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for the church. Women, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. So everything is in reference to Christ. So if your spouse is not Christ-centered, if your spouse does not fear Christ, they will not listen to anything God has said. And I said, if these instructions are difficult, even for Christian men and women to put to practice, what makes you think that somebody who doesn't believe in Christ will practice what these instructions are saying? To marry a non-believer is like two artists painting on different, painting two different pictures on the same board. You are trying to paint a picture of Jesus and the church, but your spouse is trying to paint a picture of something completely different. You're trying to live a life that reflects the precepts and the principles of Jesus, and your spouse is trying to live a life that contradicts everything you are trying to accomplish. If you think about marrying a non-believer, here are some few questions you may face in the future. Who would confess? Christ or your spouse? And how will you explain and help your spouse understand? For example, I had a lady in the church who said, Pastor, I don't pay my tithes because if I do, my husband will kill me. I mean, literally, that's what she said. I don't pay. I believe in it. I hate the teaching. I believe in it. But if my husband finds out that I take my salary, 10% of my salary, and give to the church, he will kill me. So he, he, she has to come to a position where she is willing to please the husband in order to save her relationship rather than pleasing Christ. 
Next question. If you ever think about getting married to a non-Christian, will your spouse's indifference to God affect your own spirituality? Will your spouse's indifference to God affect your own spirituality? Because whenever we are making such a decision, we don't see how it's going to affect us. But think about it. How will it affect you spiritually if you get married to a non-Christian? How will you explain to your spouse how God guides your decision if he or she does not know him? For example, it is easy for me to say to my wife, this is what the Lord has said, and we do it. There are times I will, I will come to my wife and say, I was praying that the Lord said we should do this, we should give this amount of money to this person. And she doesn't argue because she fears the Lord. If she didn't fear God, she would think I'm making this up to just give money up to some person. How will you explain to your spouse how God is guiding you, what God has instructed you to do, that they don't believe in God? What if you believe that God wants you to accomplish something together as a couple, but your spouse is not for it? I've had difficulties where, even in, even in a Christianity where God has called a man into ministry, and the wife tells him, it is you that God called on me. So whatever you're trying to do, go ahead, but I'm not following you. Now think about it in the sense of a Christian who is completely, uh, a Christian who is married to somebody who is not a Christian, and God calls them to ministry. Picture how that can be. What if God leads you to stop practicing a particular habit? Will your mate understand? Like I said, there are people who were doing something and they got convicted that this was wrong. And they said, I'm going to stop it. But their spouse don't understand. Now, if you are a Christian and you have certain things that God has been speaking to you about, stop doing this, stop doing that, and your spouse is not a Christian, how do you go to your spouse and say, I'm no longer doing this again? How do you explain when they do not understand that this is what they sh they sh you should not be doing or you both should not be doing. For example, I've had questions from a couple who say, should we watch pornography? Because my husband on the weekends will bring a pornographic movie for us to watch. Now, if you as a Christian woman, after hearing a teaching, says, hey, I'm no longer watching this movie because it is immoral, how do you start explaining to him or her since they don't understand what the Bible says? Will he or she think you are being unreasonable since everyone else is doing it? You make, what, what are you trying to say? Everybody else is doing it. So what are, you, are you trying to be extreme? Are you trying to carry the cross of Jesus on your head? Things like that will come up. If you have children, will your spouse agree to let them be raised in Christ or will object when you take your kids to church or to Christian events? Will your spouse unbelief hinder your children and grandchildren from trusting the Lord and ultimately affect their eternal destiny? When you and your spouse have a disagreement, will you or your mates have the capacity to forgive? After all, forgiveness is, diff is difficult even for those who are Christian. So when you get married to somebody who is not a Christian, will they have the capacity to forgive in case something happens. So we need to think about all these things before we proceed to be married to an unbeliever. So it is very clear from the text 
that we have uh, from the various portions that we've read that as Christians, we should not get married to unbelievers. This is very, very clear as we have seen in the Bible. So if you decide any day in the future to embark in any relationship with an unbeliever, then that is your choice, that is your prerogative. It is what you've decided to do. It is not biblical. And again, don't say God understands. Don't say there are too many women in the church. There are, there are only there are, there are few men in the church. You know, and God will, God will transform them, or God will bring them to the Lord, and things like that. There are people today who are suffering persecution in their marriages, not persecution that derived from God, but persecution that derived from their spouses, because their spouses do not understand the principles that is guiding their lives or the things that God has called them to do. So today, I want to bring this subject to a close by establishing that as Christians, as Christians, we should not marry unbelievers. Like I said, because marriage is to display God's image by obeying God's commands for fruitfulness and dominion. Marriage is partnership in doing God's work. The Old Testament warns against marrying unbelievers. And we saw the multiple instances uh, in the life of the patriarch. Again, the New Testament also prohibits believers from getting married to unbelievers. And number five, marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. So if you get married to a non-Christian, it defeats that purpose because the whole reason why marriage is used or mentioned in the Bible is to show the relationship that we as the church have with Jesus Christ. And I said, if you consider thinking about getting married, you should think about the consequences that this will have in your life. The Christianity is already too heavy of a cross to carry. As Jesus Christ said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let them carry their cross daily and follow me. So you don't want to have an unnecessary cross that you carry because you got married to somebody who is not a Christian. And I say this because I've experienced, especially as sisters in the law, who have left the church and gotten married to people or to men who were not Christians because they were desperate. They will say, I'm getting old and nobody in this church is approaching me for marriage. The only people that are coming my way are non-Christians. And pastor, besides, the man is not all that bad. The only thing is that he doesn't go to church, but he He's respectful, he's kind, he's nice, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, and all these things. And after they go and get married, the next thing you know, they start sending you prayer topics. Oh, my husband has done this, my husband did me, my husband did that, my husband did this. Because in as much as a man can be decent in his attitude, if they do not have Christ in their lives, there is no guarantee that they will, they will stay in that nice attitude. So we should always think about this. And this goes especially to women because it seems like men have more of the options, just like we've said, that there are more women. But for women, it is true, technically true. As I was studying yesterday, I realized that there are more countries in the world where women are like 70% of the population is women. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to believe that God has your spouse. Your husband may not be from the same church as you. He may not be from the same denomination as you. 
He may not be in the same country as you, but God has your husband somewhere. The Bible says when God created man, he created a male and female. So you have to believe what the Bible says, or you go with the notion that there are few men in the world, so I have to go out there and find my husband because if I'm waiting to get my husband in the church or in the Lord, I may never get because there are few men who are Christians. So we have to understand this, especially as parents, in order to guide our children, make good decisions. If we start teaching them this from their youthful age, as teenagers, they will have it at the back of their minds that any man I decide to be with tomorrow or woman I decide to be with tomorrow must be a Christian. And that helps to strengthen the Christian legacy of the family. It helps to build that Christian foundation. Think about what will happen if you allow, for example, your son to get married to a woman who is not a Christian or your daughter to get married to a man who is not a Christian on the grounds that the man will change or the woman will change. And tomorrow they come to you and say, we are not Muslims. What will you do? Or oh, we, we are not atheists. We don't believe in Jesus Christ. You understand that it's a big blow to the family because the first ministry God has given to us is our family. We, have, we want to win our family to Jesus. And you want to make sure that you're setting the pace. You're setting the standards for your family to stay on that track that will end up in eternity with Jesus Christ. So as we bring this Bible study to a close, I want to encourage every woman, every sister listening to me who is not married to let you know that God sees your pain. God hears your cry. And God has a plan. As you continue to trust him, the God we serve is a faithful God. His covenant he will not break nor alter the words he has spoken from his lips. He says, who is it that speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord God has not spoken? So keep trusting, do not compromise, do not become weak in your faith and go towards the wrong direction because you're trying to help yourself. Let the Lord help you. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up wings as eagles. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God has a plan for you and that plan will surely be fulfilled. So let's receive this information. Let's put it to practice and let's pass it down to other people. Amen. Father, we give you praise and glory. We magnify your name. We glorify your name. We thank you for all that you instructed us today. We pray that these teachings will be polished in our hearts and you grant us the grace to put them to practice. Take all the glory. Take all the honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all, brothers and sisters. I'm not available to answer any question right now. If you do have a question, please send me a message, send me a text message or a WhatsApp message, and I'll be glad to answer at my earliest convenience. Have a wonderful evening. Remember to join us on Friday at 8 p.m. on the conference line as we continue to pray for ourselves, intercede for our family, the church, and the nations. Have a wonderful week, and remain blessed. Amen.